Welcome to a special episode of AU Manufacturing Conversations with Brent Belinsky, featuring one of the companies we're putting forward as part of our quest to identify and celebrate Australia's 50 most innovative manufacturers for 2024. This campaign has been made possible through the generous support of MYOB, the original business management software developers. Nothing beats the OG as well as the CSIRO and the New South Wales Government's Advanced Manufacturing Research Facility. Scott, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations and for having me at your facility. Nice to meet you, nice to have you on the program, and nice to be at your digs. Pleasure. Thanks, Brent. So we'll start the conversation as we normally do, and that's by asking the guest, you in this case, how did you get here and what do you make? Sure. So I'm one of the co-founders of Envision. Prior to Envision, uh, career in sales and marketing. Spent most of that time in advertising technology, and I was looking for something, perhaps with uh, an opportunity to make more of a positive impact. And so, healthcare, medical technology, it's something that impacts virtually everyone on the planet. So it felt like a pretty good place to start. Mm-hmm. And at Envision, we're creating portable brain scanner products to reduce the global and societal burden of stroke and traumatic brain injury. Probably a contextual, good-to-get-out-of-the-way type question to answer early on. Do you consider yourselves a manufacturing company, an artificial intelligence company, a health tech company? Depends what kind of grant program we're applying for, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's elements of all of those things. I mean, I would think we're a medical product company. There are elements of AI. We do manufacturing. We do assembly. But I wouldn't define us as any of those one particular categories. Okay. And so how did you link up with the company's other co-founders? You've got some pretty heavy hitters in the mix. Among them, Professor Crozier, whose technology is in almost every most MRI. MRI scan ever, which is quite a good brag and quite a contribution, <laughs> more importantly. How did you link up with those sure, folks? Sure, so originally introduced to the technology through a lady called Jennifer George, who worked at UniQuest, mm-hmm. which is the IP commercialization arm of the University of Queensland. And my co-founder Ryan Laws is a friend and a colleague of mine with a background in basically investing and helping fund startups. And so he, alongside uh, Chairman John Keep, helped do the deal, negotiate the, the deal with UniQuest to acquire the original rights to the IP and, and start building out the team. And that's where Stuart, who's one of the co-inventors, he was the director of biomedical engineering. He came across to Envision as our chief scientific officer. We've brought on you know, a number of great team members across. Well, Farooq Kandon, who's our CTO, who you met earlier. Robert Tiller, our head of design. Christian White head of regulatory, hopefully I'm not missing anyone. We've got a team of about 32 or so, mostly engineers. How's the problem of stroke detection? How does that look currently in terms of detection, the treatment, the processes, and how are you trying to, I hate the word disrupt, but disrupt or perhaps improve on, if you will, that? Stroke is it's one of those things that impacts a lot of people. So it's one in four adults that will have a stroke in their lifetime and most result in some form of permanent disability. The thing with stroke is there are effective treatments and they're generally focused on restoring blood flow in the brain for about 80% of strokes, ischemic blockages, the rest are bleeds, hemorrhagic. Before those treatments can be applied, they require brain imaging to figure out what's going on. Is it a stroke or not and what type it is? And the way that's done today is typically CT. So you've got CTs which produce great images, but they're large, they're fixed machines for the most part, they're expensive, they're complex, they require specialist operators, 
So they're not machines that are widely available at the bedside or in an ambulance or in remote areas. So really we're focusing on situations that require urgent brain imaging, so suspected stroke, suspected traumatic brain injury, but a CT or an MRI is not accessible or practical. Why is speed so important? I see the term golden hour mentioned Mm. in your interviews before. Mm. Tell the audience perhaps about the importance of quick diagnosis and action. So you've got this concept, time is brain in stroke. You've got about 1.9 million brain cells dying every minute. And the earlier you can intervene, the better the outcome. There has been some fantastic work with mobile stroke units, including a some work led by Professors Jeff Donnan and Steve Davies out of the Australian Stroke Alliance and the Mobile Stroke Unit down at Royal Melbourne. And they're effectively bringing the emergency department or the stroke unit to the patient. So they have a multi-million dollar truck with a CT scanner. They have treatments on board and they're scanning these patients at their home, literally in the driveway and treating them there. And they were treating in their study was about 33% of stroke patients in that golden hour. And that's fantastic because if you get there early enough, for many of these cases you can effectively reverse the stroke as if it didn't occur. That's a fantastic outcome, and it's not a level of care that's widely available. So the current standards around 3% of patients that may be treated in the golden hour. So it's much smaller outside of that mobile stroke unit level of care. So the idea is portable, lightweight imaging, widely available and deployed, we can really speed up that time to diagnosis and treatment and increase the number of people that are treated in the golden hour. That means less disability, less burden on the healthcare system. You know, these people don't necessarily have to then have assisted living requirements and various other challenges. All the rehabilitation and the rest. So what's the size of the problem you're addressing? You said one in four adults. Mm. It's a pretty decent indicator. But if you can talk about the economic impact of strokes. The number worldwide is around 15 million strokes occur each year. Traumatic brain injury cases, it's between it's about 50 to 65 million, I believe, is around that number globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about half of those are medically treated. When we think about the economics of our device, we're thinking about those environments where I mentioned where CT or MR might not be practical. And so, in a nutshell, that's places like stroke wards, ICUs, and emergency departments, particularly rural and regional. And if we think about in the US, that's about 10,000 deployment opportunities. Germany, France, UK, it's around 6,000 bit over a thousand in Australia. And if you think about our price point, which we'll probably get to in a little bit, but it's a multi-billion dollar opportunity. And then when we go further down the line and look at road and air ambulances with our second generation model, there's about 60,000 of those in the United States. So it's a big market. Where we want to start is in those comprehensive stroke centres. I read an interview a while ago with your ex-CEO, Ron mm. Weinberger, mm. and in the article it's mentioned something about the, the packer-whacker in every mm. ambulance and that being something that's come about. Would you share the sort of vision of a Envision Generation 2 machine in every ambulance? Sure. I mean, that, that is the ultimate objective. The Packawaka story, for those that won't be familiar with it, was Kerry Packer was a famous media mogul in Australia, had, I believe he had a heart attack during a polo game, fell off the horse, and there was an ambulance there that just happened to have a defibrillator on board. At that point in time, going back a few decades now, they were not widely available. And it ended up saving his life, and he, after that moment, helped fund the greater deployment of defibrillators, and now they're everywhere, you know, they're in shopping centres, they're all around the place. 
That is the objective. So we're making it light enough, easy enough to use that it could be widely deployed. I mean, the first goal is get it in 10, 20, 30% of the fleet and then prove it out that it should be in every ambulance and small enough to fit in and hopefully cost enough effective to fit in every ambulance. And so to return to economics type questions, tell me about the model that you're looking at, capital sales as well as subscription. Tell me about how that works out. Sure. So to sell a lot of machines, you need to have pretty flexible purchasing models. And so we have the traditional capital equipment and we're looking to price that device bit over 150,000 US around that ballpark 150 to 200 and that's allowing enough margin for both us and a distributor if we use distributors in, in, in certain markets like the US and then there's a consumable component which is disposable cap and a coupling media and we're looking to price at about $25 mm-hmm. US per scan and then service so annual service contracts for equipment in our price point they're typically between 8 to 15 percent per annum of the capital equipment so we expect that to be a minimum 10%. You asked about the subscription model. Some markets like a subscription or a managed equipment service model where they are acquiring the device on a subscription where they have the equipment, they have all the consumables, accessories, training, everything's service, everything's bundled in, you know, subject to a certain term and a certain volume of consumables. We'd like to take another moment now to acknowledge our sponsors, MYOB, as well as the CSIRO and the New South Wales Government's Advanced Manufacturing Research Facility. There would be no 50 most innovative without these guys. Thanks again for making this campaign possible. In some interviews, I've seen a comment that you're making use of off-the-shelf electronics technology that, like in a lot of other industries, has gotten good enough and to the point where you can do some pretty impressive things Mm. with it for an affordable cost. Mm. Tell me about sourcing electronic stuff and if the supply chain and being located in Australia Mm. at that point of the supply chain is is an issue at all. Mm. So there's some elements that we take completely off-the-shelf. So an example where it's fully integrated would be say, NVIDIA Jetson AGX, you know, GPUs, we use image reconstruction. There are other PCBAs that are our design, so custom PCBAs, where we will then have to acquire subcomponents, whether it's from Texas Instruments or otherwise, that go into those PCBAs. For long lead items, we get on them very early to make sure we're not impacted by things like chip shortages, which was an issue some time ago, is not as much an issue these days, fortunately. And we do use some local assembly houses for some of those components as well. You mentioned there's an Australian contribution Mm. there. Does the small population of electronics manufacturers in Australia, does that create any sort of headache with you guys or is it just something that's always been there as long as you've been in a company and don't think too deeply about it? It doesn't create a headache because we've got enough suppliers internationally that we can access what we need. But as I mentioned, we do use the local assembly houses. I'd like to talk a little bit about your location. You're in... Macquarie Park. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of well-known med tech here and some good researchers. Tell me about being in this part of the world and how relevant that is to what you do. There's a number nearby which is helpful and we've got plenty of colleagues that, that have come from larger organisations like Nanasonics and Cochlear and ResMed and some of the success stories you'd be familiar with. It's helpful to be able to go catch up with them and learn from what's gone well but also what hasn't worked well. I think we can use their hindsight as our foresight, you know, dealing with regulatory bodies and others, it's, it's quite helpful and having them, you know, stones throw away is useful. 
an interesting thing you said earlier about the hindsight being foresight, I guess, mm. was the accelerated ageing example that Farouk gave. Absolutely. I guess you might not have had that in your arsenal if you didn't have people from Nanasonics on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we would have learned about that the hard way. Mm. <laughs> Let's talk about innovation. You guys were a part of our Australia's 50 most innovative manufacturers. How do you define the term? How do you understand it here? And a little bit to do with innovation, please. I think in a nutshell, we're talking about something that has the potential in our field to change how care is delivered, to change the healthcare system for the better. Usually that means improving patient outcomes or in introducing some kind of meaningful efficiency. So for us, it's not necessarily a incremental improvement to CT that means there's less radiation dose for patients, that's a good thing, but it's not a game changer. Or it's not a quicker MRI scan that goes down from 30 minutes to 27 minutes, that's a good thing, but it's not a game changer. We think provide portable imaging, cost-effective, delivered everywhere, that can really change the landscape for stroke care, traumatic brain injury. So less about incremental, more about zero to one, so a completely new way of imaging the human body, for instance. Another question I'd like to ask is about innovation in general. A lot of people have a lot of thoughts about what might make the companies that do business here more innovative. Mm. What are your thoughts? What do you think could be done to help out in that regard? So, look, I do think we honestly punch above our weight in IP generation. I think a lot of people say that, but uh, I do think it's true. I'm saying that with no data in front of me to back that up, but I do believe it to be the case. It's the vibe. We have been beneficiary of some great grant schemes, which have certainly been helpful. So there was the Modern Manufacturing Initiative to help get us through to that first production run. The Australian Stroke Alliance, I mentioned before, with lightweight portable imaging, improving stroke care, they're beneficiary of the Medical Research Future Fund, which we have also been a beneficiary of as their commercial technology partner. And then the New South Wales Medical Devices Fund has been super helpful for our clinical trials. Certainly, when we get to that next level, we're looking to export internationally and, and really scale up production, you know, we're hopeful that the National Reconstruction Fund can play an important role. This is probably going to go to air mid-January, so let's talk like it's next year. What are some of the things you're preparing to get stuck into this year? As we're talking now in December, we've recently reached our enrolment target for stage two of our multi-centre trial with our EMU product. So that's the bedside brain scanner, and that's been enrolling patients at three leading stroke centres in Australia, Liverpool Hospital, Royal Melbourne, and the Princess Alexandra in Brisbane. And we're expecting to report on that stage in the first quarter of next calendar year of 2024. We are also preparing for road and air ambulance trials with our first responder model, our second generation device. And we'll be delivering the proof of concept unit of that in the first half. And as we embark on that commercialization process, engaging with the FDA, we're preparing for a larger validation study to confirm the sensitivity specificity of our product. So we can take that data to the FDA to seek approval to begin marketing it in FY25. And so the closing question for this series is, is there an issue within manufacturing that isn't getting the attention it deserves you know, by policymakers, by the public, by the media? What are your thoughts? I wouldn't say this is necessarily an issue that doesn't get any attention. It gets attention, but maybe not a lot of attention. And it's the idea that we're good at really fostering the early stage stuff, the medical research, the proof of concept, the prototyping, the IP generation, but the actual value capture and producing units that are then not offloaded to a global OEM but sold by the company, there's a much smaller pool of success stories out of Australia. And so there's plenty that sure have had great 
exits or what seemed like great exits at the time, but probably left a lot of money on the table. Well, Scott, it's been delightful having you on the program and being at your offices. Nice to meet Pleasure. you and thanks for being on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Good to chat. Thanks. Thank you.